0: Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the History of Birdland podcast. As always, I am your host, Andy Snacks. You can find me on Twitter, at Andy Snacks. You can find the show, Twitter page, at Birdland History. And today's episode, before I get started, I wanted to take some time out and just congratulate the current Baltimore Orioles. The season did not end how we wanted it to. Uh, It was a fun ride, though, to see this team win 101 games, to see this team grow, all the new stars, the guys like Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman, and even though Felix Bautista's injury ended his season, just a lot of good moments, good memories, and yeah, we didn't quite get there all the way, and it was a little demoralizing to lose the way that we did, uh, especially considering... The team hadn't been swept since Adley Rutschman had joined the team. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. It was still a great season. I think in the midst of it happening, I think a lot of people were upset. But I think once you kind of sit back and really take this season for what it is, it was a great season for the Orioles. So just wanted to take the time and and acknowledge the Orioles. Uh, I know this is a podcast that usually talks about the history of the game and the history of the team but uh, I think it's warranted to uh, throw a shout out to the team and how they perform this season. So this is episode number 26, and I'm going to go back to another player profile. And this one, this one's a guy that I don't think gets nearly the recognition that he deserves. And, and again, it's one of those guys who played on Orioles teams that were really, really bad. And he, He didn't get the all-star nods that he probably should have. He didn't get a lot of postseason play that probably he should have if he was on a better team. But I'm going to go with Melvin Mora today as my player profile. So a little bit of background on Melvin. He was born Melvin Mora Diaz on February 2nd, 1972 in Venezuela. I didn't find much from Melvin's childhood growing up in Venezuela, But I did find this actually heartbreaking story that I didn't even know about until researching this podcast. And this is from GuidePost.org. It was an article written about Melvin Mora when he was with the Colorado Rockies in one of his last seasons in baseball. So here it is directly from this piece. One day when Melvin Mora, the third baseman for the Colorado Rockies, was a young boy, he was walking with his dad in front of the family's home. Suddenly a man approached, pulled out a gun, pointed it at Melvin's father, and pulled the trigger. Mora's father stumbled into the house and collapsed on a couch. I was six years old, Mora recalls. I didn't know how to react. I saw my sister crying, so I began to cry. The thing I most remember was that he was lying on the couch, I saw the blood, and then he died. The Moras who lived in a gritty neighborhood in the Venezuelan town of Agua Negre, Might be mispronouncing that, so I apologize. About 150 miles west of Caracas, were poor but never went hungry when Melvin's father was alive. He worked as a trash collector and farmer and always brought food home for the family table. But after the shooting, which was a case of mistaken identity, poverty gripped the family. It was difficult for Moore's mother to provide for a family of six boys and four girls. Melvin was moved from relative to relative, but one thing that stayed constant for him was sports. I was one of those kids who was always looking for a sport to play, he says. He started boxing, but more naturally gravitated towards soccer, by far the most popular sport in Venezuela. He became very good, so good, in fact, that he was named to the Venezuelan national soccer team as a teenager. But soccer players, even the extraordinary ones, did not make much money in Venezuela in the late 1980s. An athletic coach who became somewhat of a surrogate father to Melvin steered him to baseball. He told the youngster that more money could be made in that sport, and he was right. So that's what Melvin continued to do. He continued to play baseball. And just a, a heartbreaking story there. And like I said, I, I, you know, being a fan of the Orioles and being a fan of Melvin Mora, I really didn't know much about that story from his dad or about his dad and just heartbreaking stuff for, for a very young Melvin Mora. So... Again, he, he decided to pursue baseball. Mora was signed out of Venezuela as an international free agent in 1991 by the Houston Astros, but he found getting to the majors extremely tough. After seven years in the Astros organization with 650 games and even a short stint in the Chinese Pro League, Mora would then sign a minor league deal with the New York Mets. Melvin Moore would finally see a major league field in 1999 with those same Mets when he made his big league debut on May 30th, 1999. He started for the Mets in this game against the Diamondbacks and went 0-3. for For most of the 1999 season with the Mets, Moore was used as a pinch hitter, defensive replacement, stuff like that. Uh, Moore did not get his first major league hit until July 6th against the Montreal Expos. For the rest of the 1999 season, Moore would appear in just 66 games and only have 39 plate appearances. So a lot of those, again, like I said, situations with the New York Mets, kind of a defensive replacement, maybe pinch runner here and there. Uh, he batted 161 with no home runs and just one RBI. So it was safe to say that heading into the playoffs with the Mets, not much was expected of Melvin Moore, and it, it would have even been wouldn't have been that surprising if he wouldn't have made the team after hitting just 161 in 66 games. But Melvin Moore became a household name, especially in the New York area in the 1999 playoffs. He played in nine games in the postseason. He batted 400 with one home run, two RBIs, and four runs scored. So out of nowhere, Melvin Moore just becomes an intricate part of this Mets team in their 1999 playoff push. He also had several outfield assists gunning someone down at third and at home from his right field position in the playoffs. The Mets, however, would fall in the 1999 NLCS to the Atlanta Braves. And sadly, this was the only time Melvin Moore would taste the postseason in his career. And the the Mets, who lost to the Braves in the 1999 NLCS, The Braves would go on to the World Series and eventually lose to the New York Yankees. So entering the 2000 season, Melvin Mora was more of a fixture with the Mets, even if it was in a utility role. Mora would appear in 79 games with the Mets in 2000, and in those 79 games, 44 were at shortstop, 16 in center field, 12 in left field, 4 at second base, 4 at third base, 3 in right field. (laughs) So... Kind of uh, he's that super utility role, kind of like the modern day kind of you can kind of compare it to Ben Zobrist of recent times. uh, All the positions Ben Zobrist would play while with the Mets in 2000 Mora would hit 260 with six home runs and 30 RBI. And then on July 28th, 2000, the Mets would trade Melvin Moore to Baltimore with two other minor leaguers and Mike Kincaid for veteran shortstop Mike Bordick. So a four-for-one deal. The Mets traded four players to get Mike Bordick on their team for the rest of the 2000 season. The rest of the way with Baltimore in the 2000 season, Moore would hit two ninety-one with two home runs and 17 RBIs, bringing his 2000 season total to a batting average of .275, eight home runs and 47 runs batted in. The Orioles would finish the 2000 season 74-88 and and in fourth place in the American League East, while unfortunately for Melvin Mora, the Mets would advance all the way to the World Series before they lost to the New York Yankees in the famous Subway Series uh, that lasted five games and a Yankees win. So Melvin Mora got a little bit of the playoff taste in 1999. Uh, was traded to the Orioles in 2000, and then in 2000, of course, the Mets go all the way to the World Series. So unfortunately for him, he misses out on the World Series. So for the 2001 season, Melvin Mora would see more playing time than ever before. Mora played mostly center field and shortstop in the 2001 season for the Orioles, and he would hit 250 with seven home runs and 48 RBIs. As for the Orioles in 2001, it was another fourth-place finish. In the american league east with a record of 63 98 and one 2002 would see melvin moore's game total go up even more and it would again see him return to the super utility man role that he had with the mets moore played in 149 games with the orioles in 2002 and he played 74 games in left field 41 games in shortstop 31 games in center field 12 games at second, five games in right field, and even three games as the designated hitter. At the plate in 2002, Mora would only hit .233, one of his lowest lowest in-season batting averages, but his power numbers went up drastically with a 19 home run season and 64 RBI. The Orioles in 2002, another subpar year, they finished 67-95, and and guess what? They finished fourth in the American League East in 2002. 2003 for Melvin Moore was a good and bad season. First, let's get the bad out of the way. He missed significant playing time due to an injury, missing the entire month of August and the second half of September. He only managed to play 96 games. The good? Melvin Moore made his first All-Star team in 2003. Moore pitched, ran, and scored a run in the game. For the regular season, Moore would hit a career best 317 with 15 home runs and 48 RBIs. The Orioles would once again finish in fourth place in the American League East in 2003 with a record of 71 and 91. So, before the 2004 season, the Orioles made multiple big splashes in the offseason that created more buzz than I could remember in a long time in Baltimore. At that time, especially in the offseason, the Orioles would sign Miguel Tejada, Javi Lopez, and Rafael Palmero. The hype was so real that the Orioles would open the season against the Boston Red Sox on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. The 2004 Orioles started that season with a bang, winning on that opening night 7-2, to and had the Orioles fans dreaming of what could be a magical season. And I... I remember this, because this is, again, this was 2004, so this is right after I, or the year that I graduated high school. Javi Lopez, a catcher for the Atlanta Braves for so many years, he was an all-star in 2003 with the Atlanta Braves, Miguel Tejada had won an MVP in Oakland just a few years earlier, Rafael Palmero had so many great years with the Orioles in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, all these guys with coming in with these big names and big reputations. And you thought maybe this could be finally the Orioles after, you know, six years, what was it? Six, seven years at this point, because 1998 started their losing season trend and it brought a lot of excitement to the team. And And after this Sunday night baseball game, there was a lot of people that were excited for the Orioles and for this magical season. And it and again, like I said, it started really well. They finished the month of April with a twelve and nine record, right in the mix. But unfortunately, the Orioles would have only one more winning month the rest of the season. And by the time they had that winning month, it was in September. They went eighteen and ten. The season was pretty much lost. So the Orioles would finish seventy-eight and eighty-four, so a little bit better than they had been. Like the last three or four records I'd given was Mid 60s, low 60s, low 70s. So 78 wins, pretty close to a 500 record, but only good enough for third in the American League East. As for Melvin Mora in the 2004 season, he seemed to benefit from all the big names in the lineup. Mora would hit a career high 340 with 27 home runs and 104 RBI. So a tremendous, a truly breakout season. For Melvin Mora, but despite that 340 batting average, he only finished second in the American League behind the great Ichiro, who hit an ungodly 372 in 2004. So th- think about that for just a minute. Melvin Mora hits 340, which if you look at the last five years of the American League batting champion. Melvin Moore would have won the batting title four of the last five years with that 340 batting average. And even with that great year, he still finished 32 points behind the first-place guy, Ichiro, who just, for my money, I know this is an Orioles podcast, for my money, Ichiro might be the best hitter I ever saw play the game. I mean I know I know there may be a lot of older people listening to this show that might say Pete Rose or Mike Schmidt or whoever for my money and a guy that I actually got to watch play Ichiro best hitter I've ever seen. So even with that tremendous year Melvin Moore finishes second in the batting title race and again Melvin Moore this was by far his best year as a pro. He didn't go to the All-Star game in 2004. So with that, that's kind of crazy, too. So we go to 2005 now. The Orioles tried making another big offseason splash. The Orioles would trade for veteran slugger Sammy Sosa. And again, the season would start off well for the Orioles. Before we get into that, this is another thing that I was super excited for. I still have a Sammy Sosa Orioles jersey. When I was younger, I would say Sammy Sosa was one of my favorite players that wasn't an Oriole, so to see him play in the Orioles Orange and Black was super exciting, but Sammy Sosa was well past his prime at this point and just wasn't the same player, and it didn't amount amount to much. It was a one-year thing, and he was okay. The fact that the Chicago Cubs were willing to take on Jerry Hairston Jr., I think kind of tells you everything about Sammy Sosa at this point. But again, like I said, the season started off well. The Orioles were 16 and 7 at the end of April, 31 and 20 at the end of May, and they were 47 and 40 with and just 2 games back in the division at the All-Star break. However, just like in 2004, they couldn't keep it going and in the second half of the season, the Orioles would finish 27 and 48 to finish the year 74 and 88 and again finished fourth place in the American League East for Melvin Moore in 2005 another solid season Melvin Moore would hit 283 with 27 home runs and 88 RBI and he was selected to his second all-star team so i think this was almost like a makeup for 2004 because how can you hit 340 and not make the all-star team but he made it in 2005, so Melvin Mora got to play in his second All-Star game in 2005. 2006, another solid season for Melvin Mora. He would hit two seventy-four with 16 home runs and 83 RBIs. The Orioles, as a team, they were very consistent as well because guess what? They finished fourth place in the American League East, a record of 70-92 and 92 in 2006. In 2007, Melvin Moore would hit 274. His power numbers went down a little bit, 14 home runs with 58 RBIs. And as for the Orioles, they would go 69 and 93 and finish fourth place in the American League East. 2008 would see a little bit of an uptick for Melvin Moore as far as pr- offensive production would go. He would hit 285, 23 home runs, and just for the second time in his career, he would drive in over a hundred runs with hundred and four. Oddly enough, both times he hit over a hundred RBIs, he hit exactly 104. That was just his number. If he hit over a hundred, he was gonna hit one oh four. But even with that great year, it did not help the Orioles in the win-loss column, as again they would go sixty-eight and ninety-three. And this time they would finish in last place in the American League East. So their their runs of fourth-place finishes over as they finished fifth place in 2008. After the resurgence in 2008, uh, Mora's numbers would start to decline the next year in 2009. Mora would hit two sixty, which isn't bad, but that's his lowest batting average in a single season since 2002 when he hit two thirty three, and his power numbers took a significant hit, Uh, He only hit eight home runs and 48 RBIs, and this would bring an end to his tenure with the Baltimore Orioles because on October 29, 2009, the Orioles would decline Moore's option, thus ending his time with the Birds, and he would become a free agent. 2010, he would spend time with the Colorado Rockies. That's where that article came from that I read earlier. And in 2011, Melvin Moore played for the Arizona Diamondbacks before finally calling it a career. So, Melvin Mora, for his career, he hit 277 with 171 home runs, 754 RBIs. In his 10 years in Baltimore, Melvin Mora had a .280 batting average, which is pretty good. .280 is a pretty good career batting average. 158 home runs, 662 RBIs. He was selected to two all-star teams, won the Silver Slugger Award in 2004, And in that same season, he would finish in the top 20 of the MVP voting. Of course, that was the year that he hit 340. Melvin Mora was inducted into the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame in 2015. So there it is, episode number 26, my player profile on Melvin Mora. Again, I think one of those guys who just kind of gets overlooked again, mostly because the Orioles were such a bad team. And and we went through it, you know. How many times did the Orioles not even win seventy games? Uh, so the Orioles during his time were not a very good side, but doesn't take away all the good years that Melvin Mora put in in the Orioles orange and black, and one of my favorite players. I really enjoyed watching Melvin Mora play. So, it was really fun to look back at this episode and just see how good of a player he actually was because again, I think it gets lost when you see this team being as bad as they are. You kind of lose you kind of in in the moment as you see this team lose, you don't have the appreciation that you probably should for guys like Melvin Mora who had really good years, had some really good production, couple time All-Star, silver slugger played almost every position you would ask him to play. And it kind of gets lost because of how bad the Orioles were. So again, I want to thank you for listening to this show. This was episode number 26, player profile, Melvin Mora. Next week's show, I'm going to do something a little different. So since I've started doing this show, I've been doing season recaps, player profiles, game recaps, series recaps, I'm going to start to try to do something new next week's show because everyone likes a list, right? So I'm going to start putting together my own lists. And next week's show, I'm going to do the best single season performances by a position player. And it'll be a top 10 list. And, you know, it'll be my list. It'll be who I think had the best single seasons as an Oriole as a position player, maybe this Melvin Mora season in 2004 might be on the list, you know, maybe Miguel Tejada's year with the Orioles, maybe one of Cal Ripken's MVP years, maybe Frank Robinson's triple crown year in 1966. So, so next week I'm going to, I'm going to start bringing out these episodes every once in a while, just doing top 10 lists and thinking of any categories i can and and it won't be every episode i'm not going to turn this podcast into into uh, just a top 10 list but i think it's another way to add to the show and add to the dynamics of the show so next week's show again i will pick the top 10 single season performances by a position player i'm going to do the pitchers on a separate list so mike messina and jim palmer and You know, Zach Britton, when he had that tremendous 50 save season of a couple years ago. So we'll save that for a different episode. So I want to thank you once again for listening. And again, like always, be sure to check out birdlandsports.com slash snacks. I've teamed up with the guys over there at birdlandsports.com. If you use that link and it will be in the show description, it'll be on Twitter, birdlandsports.com com slash snacks to buy all the all the stuff that those guys are putting out and of course listen to the section 336 podcast with Matt and Josh tons of great stuff over there great listen on the on the podcast great shirts and uh, glasses I actually bought a couple of uh drinking glasses uh for uh, uh, my cousin's birthday uh, not too long ago so use birdlandsports.com slash snacks, S-N-A-K-S, to get a really great deal on anything on that website. So, again, want to thank you once again for listening. This has been Andy Snakowski, Andy Snacks for short. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Snacks, A-N-D-Y-S-N-A-K-S, at Birdland History, and I will be back next week with the top 10 single-season performances by a position player.